Hello. Hello, there. Hello. You're with us from the start, Asriel. That makes me happy. I would have been happy otherwise, but... Okay, we should get going. Uh, it's quarter past. Uh, we have about 45 minutes, maybe a bit more. We can wrap it up afterwards. Asriel, so we're going to uh, start this off. Uh, and I'm just going to uh, tell everybody welcome to the Café Con Paulo Freire podcast. And especially welcome to you, Asta, for being part of this. You're from the Climate Students. So I'm going to say something about myself and also about the podcast, very brief. Um, so uh, I'm Daniel. I work here at CMS with Education and Outreach. And uh, CMS is the Center for Environment and Development Studies um, here at Uppsala University in Uppsala, Sweden. And this is our third episode. Uh, it's been very interesting uh, to do this in a podcast format. It makes it more focused on the guests we have as part of the conversation. We have a couple of more people online as well, so we see, and some people here as well. So, so we'll see how we can take it to the next level and maybe also integrate all of this. And and Asriel, you're you're in a car uh, somewhere in Spain, uh, traveling towards Valencia, I think. On my way to Sevilla. To Sevilla, yeah. I'm not a good listener. Sevilla, but it's still Spain, at least. Yeah. It is Spain. Yes. Yeah, it's Spain. Uh, That's good. And yeah, what can I say? me we have been uh, developing this program since about three years now almost three years uh, the coffee with paulo freire format we took from porto alegre from fernanda who works with children teacher and she's um, also environmental well a poet and she has been our godmother. And lately we're doing the podcast. So my background is as an agricultural engineer, social scientist, but been teaching, doing research since 1967. That makes me today 82 years young. Um, and yeah, I'm glad that we have today climate activists, climate students, because and we met at the Forum Toriet, Fridays for the Future. So, and I'm very glad that we can have an intergenerational um, dialogue between uh, younger activists, uh, especially in the academic environment, but not only. Um, so basically, Asta, uh, just a brief introduction of you about the climate students, uh, maybe also about what got you engaged in these issues uh, around climate, but maybe other things as well. Yes. Uh, I'm in my third year in my Bachelor's of Peace and Development Studies here at the university. And um, yeah, that's what I do. Now I've been studying at CMUS, uh the Climate Leadership course. Yeah, I should sit a bit more closely, maybe. <laughs> I've been studying the Climate Leadership course here at CMUS. Um And the Climate Students is an organization, is an international organization now, but it actually started here in Uppsala at SLU. Um, where students wanted to help the universities reduce their emissions um, to also, you know, follow the Paris Accords and um, and Agenda 2030. So basically what we want is for universities between 2019 and 2023 to reduce their emissions by 
15% each year. And then for them for by 2030, the um, net zero measures. Um, and what got me engaged, I um, I always have been, or always, I've always, for as long as I can remember, been interested in environment and climate change. And um, when you do something about it, I feel like I get very anxious if I don't contribute with my knowledge. Um, and with what, what I feel I can contribute to the world and with the universities, we see it as a huge opportunity to spread awareness throughout societies as universities are hubs of knowledge. Um, and they educate a large proportion of the population. So if universities can, um, as our slogan is, uh, practice what you teach, um, if they can do that, then that's um, those values, those ethical values and sustainable practices spread throughout society. Great. Um, and it's also that students have a unique role within the university. You could say that about every category, but, yeah. but you, students also has this uh, role that uh, you can't really ignore what the students uh, think uh, and what the students are engaged in at a university. But it also depends on how many students, of course, that are engaged yeah. or what kind of uh, suggestions you have for changes at the university as well. But yeah. uh, And being also here at Uppsala University for quite a long time, there's been certain issues where students have been very involved, but it's also it's Uppsala University has not seen this kind of student movement around these issues on a larger scale maybe that's ahead of us in the future um hopefully yes um i also want to say something more about the topic and also about framing um myself i worked a long time at cms and also as i said in Uppsala university and also cms has been involved in different projects uh, and different discussions at the university on how the university can maybe do things differently or start new initiatives. So we've been part of the active student participation project. It was also an earlier project around sustainable development and how that should be integrated in education or should it be a separate course that you take as a student. Um, and we've been part of other international networks and part of that discussion at the university. Uh, and when you work with an issue a long time, you might have also, um, you get a feeling that you want more change to happen than you're seeing. If I'm phrasing it diplomatically. Uh, so so then it's easy to, over time, become stuck in a certain issue or you become stuck in, in a form of maybe passive bitterness is a fancy word for it. Uh, but I listened to this podcast, uh, Climate Emotions, I think it's called, where they also talked about bitterness and anger and they talked about climate emotions mm -hmm. a lot. So I, I thought that that kind of got me the idea of, well, what if we turn it around? What if uh, we kind of sort of workshop this and start to think about, it might be very practical and very like easy things to to suggest or think about that, that could be done here, but it also could be done at the university on a larger scale or another part of the university. And, and also try to just think of, well, if we were the ones deciding or we can think of like, this would be easy ways or more visionary big things uh, in, in changing the university. Uh, and then we don't have to, we don't have to describe the history of, of how Uppsala University has not been so good at changing or changing for the better. Um, and I divided this very practically in the physical environment, the campus areas, resources, education, and research. Uh, and outreach kind of goes into everything uh, and is a bit more vague as well. So, so I think those three categories will be enough for the 35, 40 minutes we have left. 
Um, and I think also a lot of student projects here at CMS, but also students in general, that might be the same for the climate students, are engaged in kind of physical resources, travel, those kind of issues within the university. Uh, so from that kind of framing, are there specific things you feel especially engaged in or the climate students that you've been working? And this kind of also connects a part to the Uppsala University uh, environmental plan, which is also being updated again. So. Yeah, so definitely a huge part of the university's emissions come from transportation. Mm. Um, and for that, we're looking to um, re looking again at the plan for next year because the environmental coordinators are starting the process in the beginning of next year. Mm. And we want to learn from past mistakes and make it um, like make the future plan better. And um, I, I mean, a problem with student organizations in general is that we have a lot of like, um, what do you call it, turnover or? Yeah. Th yeah, there's a lot of students coming and going. Um, so sometimes you don't have that like knowledge you need. Mm. So we're, we're looking at that again to really like revisit it, make it a proper um, critique of the plan. Um, personally, I'm more invested in food and food systems. Mm -hmm. um, and the climate students are launching next year a campaign for um, uh, more plant-based foods at the universities. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's something that I'm more in invested in and that I guess Klima students has been working or the climate students have been working on for the past month mm -hmm. a bit, yeah. Yeah, uh, and one of the very concrete things we talked about uh, just in a small part of the episode last time was also this theme of campus gardens and gardens as part mm -hmm. of uh, the learning process and, and how also how to engage both students, but also researchers, but also citizens here in Uppsala. So that for me at least would be an easy way to set that as a goal, but also maybe fund it. It doesn't yeah. have to be very expensive, but you would set like a goal. We have one campus garden now just outside of here. Yeah. Maybe next year we should have three, yeah. five. And then you just kind of figure out and ask them how much does this cost what kind of land is requirement how as a minimum of people do you need involved that would be a very easy way of actually then having something very physical very concrete but also yeah. that could be used in education and research yeah and that's a that's a big part of what we want as well we think that access to the environmental coordinators and the environmental group at the university is very difficult mm. can't find anything like we've been at with climate students um, been here for our meetings at Seamus Library. Mm. Um, but there's no really other hub for um, environmental issues that can be talked about mm. otherwise in the university right now. Yeah. So yeah, campus gardens can definitely be a part of that. Yeah. And that also, I mean, today almost being 20 degrees Celsius yeah. minus, uh, it reminds us also that the indoor spaces for, mm. I mean, the majority of the, the academic year would also be... Uh, something that you could develop and having kind of collaborative spaces that again doesn't have to be super expensive it's not super advanced to set up no. uh, and same as library is a kind of model but there's other projects also we worked with the Uppsala Collaboratoriet which was part of a research project and it was a free space for students uh, organizations anybody basically to use uh, for events or, or meetings or other things so that would also be something that would be could do the same thing you say that we have one space or maybe there's two or three of them that we don't know and then you can just say we should have five or ten next year and how much would this cost and also talk to people running these spaces now that's easy but also talking about food because i remember there was a project around having fridges where you could leave food that you weren't using or 
I don't know. I don't think it was leftovers, but have you heard anything more about that? And, and if any of the campus areas have that? I haven't heard about that. I might have to do something with Bruce Food Club because mm -hmm. they're more for saving food yeah. and food waste. We're more like, we want to try to focus our resources on making the university lower its emissions. Mm -hmm. But of, of course, food is, is a way of doing that. Mm -hmm. But no, I haven't heard about that project. It sounds really interesting though. Yeah. And it was a very also easy idea. Yeah, and I think the idea was not necessarily to buy a lot of new fridges because then you're going on the resource end. It might be worth it though in the long run, but but I think it was using also fridges that might be on the end of their life and you like buy new fridges here anyways, but why throw away the others? Um, but I think it also connects to other ideas around having, if people bring food that are nearing their end to a fridge like that, you could have like a soup lunch or something like that. Oh yeah. Uh, as also a social event to actually then use something because if you have a fridge and then you just have things that yeah. lie there and nobody's using it, it doesn't really do any good. Travel is there? Mm -hmm. Do you within the climate students have like um, an ongoing concrete discussion around that or any dialogue with the university? Um, we have some dialogue. We meet with the environmental coordinators mm -hmm. monthly, um, but the university wants to lower their travel-related emissions by 30% from 2019 to 2023, mm -hmm. um, which they have, um, in 2022, they'd reduced their emissions by 44%. Um, so that's, you know, it's good for their goal, but it's not what we want. We want them to reduce it by 15% every year. Mm -hmm. So that would be, um, over all of their sectors, about um, a 70% reduction or a 60-70% reduction. Yeah, and also if you compare 2019 and 2022, you have a yeah. very lucky period if you're looking yes. at the reductions because it's a pandemic. And the pandemic, we might have said it ended here, or regulations concerning the pandemic ended in February 2022. Yeah. But for the rest of the world, it took more than a year after that yeah. before things were starting up and also international conferences. Yeah. So if you might compare another year, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they also be, yeah, they acknowledge that in the revision, like yeah. the environmental revolution that they have to do by law. Yeah. Um, and they say that you know the beginning of twenty twenty was only a year and a half ago, mm -hmm. but that was my second term of university, and I remember things like shutting down in the beginning and having Zoom again. So, yeah, definitely a lot of those submissions. But I'm looking forward to see what actually happened now and the end of twenty twenty three. Yeah. And we also heard rumors that certain departments actually pay all the train travel that uh, anybody employed at their department would do. So you mm -hmm. pay for like, I think you pay for hotels and, and air travel. Yeah. But if you're going by train, that is not going to cost you or the projects that you're working with anything extra. So it's like a joint collective fund that they have. That's really good. Which would also seem like a good idea for the university, Yeah. which is again, something you can quite easily calculate from you can just do a summary of yeah. train travel and kind of get a number on it. Is there other things with how the campus areas are constructed and the resource use? And also I'm thinking of the mental and like psychological environment of the campus areas or the classrooms, for example, is that might be more periphery to so, students? Um, yeah, it's a bit more periphery for us right now, I think, but the university has things for their uh, energy use or like a set goal, like we want to reduce it by this much. They don't have it for like things that they purchase. Mm -hmm. They just have, we want to reduce, but not by how much. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that like definitely there should be a way to 
make people from different campuses be able to meet in the location, which like we suggest that the sustainability office should be more transparent and mm. should be like glass doors, you know, to where they sit and you can meet people and you can see the different uh, student organizations at the university as well. Like maybe you're interested in food waste and then you can join Bruce Food Club. Mm. Um, or maybe you're interested in what the university does and you can join Kimosa or Tehima students um, or Fridays for Future, or, you know. Um, but yeah, the, the the classrooms, I don't know if, yeah, we thought a lot about how they're like integrated with nature. And it might connect more to education so we can come back yeah. to that as yeah. well because there's there's a reoccurring theme we've had mm. in the podcast in previous sessions as well. Uh, I'm also thinking about it. I listened to this really interesting presentation, which was like an hour, uh, from I think Indiana University, and how they during the pandemic had developed a lot of outdoor spaces for students to study, but also outdoor spaces for students to sit with their computer and have online learning. So it was a, it was a fairly. They had worked for it for a long time, but it was also during the pandemic this kind of grew quite a lot. So that seems also a Uppsala University specific thing that could be developed a lot more. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be resource heavy and everything, but it, but it would be interesting to see how Uppsala University could use the green areas that they have to also expand kind of the where you can sit and study as a student, but yeah. also where you could have classes, other things as well, or have meeting places, kind of like same as others. Um, okay, that is kind of a segue into education. Should we jump into that as well? Um, so is there anything specific that the climate students are working on when it comes to education specifically? Um, do you mean like what the university teaches, like the programs? Or yeah, mean- and it's basically the question of like, should sustainability and climate issues be integrated in all courses or should mm-hmm. there be like a required course or several required courses for all students? at the university and all sorts of other things that we haven't thought about. Yeah, um, it's not something that we actively work on right now. Um, maybe I have my own personal opinions, but mm-hmm. um, we we believe that the university needs to take their share of responsibility as we believe that like institutional change is mandatory if we want to meet the Agenda 2030 and uh, the Paris thing below 1.5 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, like, personally, maybe at the university, there shouldn't um, be demand for for just learning about climate change, depending on what course. Like, I've mm. done some very random courses, mm. and it's like, um, but I think that it should be integrated in all mm. the different campuses. Um, but I we think more about what the campuses do to make it easier for students to choose sustainable alternatives. What do their like coffee machines uh, look like? Do they have plastic and or like mm-hmm. what kind of cups do they have? Do they have plant based milk? Mm-hmm. Um, does it does it make it easy for students to choose uh, an alternative? Can they bike there? You know, mm-hmm. Uppsala is very friendly in that way mm-hmm. uh, compared to many other cities. Um, but we don't focus so much on. On education as we like really try to help the university just lower their emissions from what the university pays for um, yeah. and what you're describing sounds almost like a course that could be mm-hmm. for credit course how to make your yeah. like local study environment or your department more environmentally and climate friendly for example uh, but i'm also thinking of the university of barcelona where they had a 
student movement, student protests, and then the university had, well, they developed this course on climate mm -hmm. that is required for all students um, before you graduate or it's required at start. I, I'm not sure about that. But it seems also that, and it's also, it should be said also that there's a lot of students, a lot of teachers, a lot of researchers that are genuinely interested in all of these topics and they're trying to do all they can within their courses or educational programs, bachelor master programs. So there's a lot of engagement, I think, but it's not always easy. Just like, how do you integrate this in a meaningful way and have also your established kind of a subject or in your, if you're teaching chemistry, that is the main thing. Yeah. So sustainability kind of comes on top of it. Yeah. Um, it would be interesting also for climate students and other students kind of getting together in a kind of seamless fashion also and trying to identify what are the courses, programs missing at Uppsala University yeah. that Uppsala could start that also would be in all cases, I would guess, successful programs when it comes to recruiting students and finding kind of basics to work. With. Yeah, I think that's definitely like long-term, uh, finding those programs that could help um, with like climate activism and involvement. I think something that like we kind of push for now is or that we want more of which is, we feel like it's a very easy thing to do is just to host more lectures or mm. like host more um guest lectures mm. about climate change at the institutions mm. every institution basically or every um like apartment building mm. has something that um regards environment and climate mm. it's not that, that difficult then to have the guest lectures at the mm. different departments to make it easier for students mm. um to get involved mm. Um, uh, you have your hand up. Oh, okay, so there's two different levels. One is academic and has to do with research, education, which you just dealt with, and then with the resources, the physical space, the campus resources. The other area is organizational. I think that was uh, you. We heard most of it, Asriel. Uh, you were uh, uh, sounding partly as out of space, uh, out of space uh, coming in. Um, but I think we got kind of a question in there. Uh, yeah. Go ahead and comment. So the question was how we can like re, um, like think about these in different levels, or what was kind of the end. I think what I picked I up was like <laughs> both the um, uh, the interdisciplinary part of it. Yeah. How do you then break these boundaries and how do you create something maybe that actually creates change in yeah. a sense. Um, and we talk about the university here in a more practical and visionary aspect, which then risks becoming naive. But, uh, but that is, the, I mean, what we're really here for in the SAMUS context is also changing not only the university, but yeah. the society, but also the world in, in a big global kind of aspect. So I think that's kind of the question. If that was a question. Maybe that, <laughs> <laughs> how we can change the word, world through the education, like what you talked about. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So like I in in Swedish um, men, like mandatory school, uh, you have to learn about climate change. That's one of the parts. Um, but at the university, we have many international students. Maybe that hasn't been a part of their um, academic background. 
So like, I think it's very important and it's really interesting discussing these philosophical aspects. Um, we at Klimas Centena maybe kind of think more like we want to, to have the action before we, um, and think about these kind of things on the side. Um, I think that if we had everyone um, do a mandatory course in climate change, perhaps we would get more. Um, I, I don't see anything bad climate related to that. We probably would have more climate uh, engagement. Um, but again, there's no like, as like a student who's like usually relying on sources, I don't have a, a good source for why that would be at the moment. Mm. Um, but as long as we're not stagnating um, in our in our education and listening to the students, listening to new, re new research, um, I think that's a, that's a way forward. Mm. And I'm also realizing now when we're talking about integrating uh, in education or in educational programs and courses, and then like a standalone course, that would be an introduction. But I think also from Siemens kind of being stuck in an, mm. and it's great that we have an A and B course and we have a lot of international courses, but that also means that there's no way to write a bachelor thesis uh, at Siemens. Mm. But that means a lot of students go on to other subjects and departments and then they because there's an openness to sustainability and climate and everything. So then they write their thesis as it would kind of be writing a thesis at Sims because it's an open topic. And they can also, in most cases, relate the kind of department they're at to sustainability in a lot of interesting ways. So so I think also maybe there's more things happening that we know of. Yeah, um, and that's a problem, right? Because yeah. at the university, if you want people to like quickly change their lifestyles and for the university to change we need people to know about what's going on at the university yeah um that's a big part of like Uppsala university being a very conservative in the way it works and functions mm -hmm. um having a lot of problems communicating with students mm -hmm. um putting that pressure on organizations like the climate students yeah. um to um a group of you know unpaid students mm. to communicate to the to all students at sixty thousand students at Uppsala mm. University. <laughs> you know, it's quite a um, a lot to do. And and if students feel that the university is engaged in these topics, and that the university has a lot of hosts and lectures and themes um, regarding this, more students probably would be involved mm. and also know about climate students yeah. <laughs> and the climate work. Yeah, that's very true. I, I mean. In a lot of cases, we're talking about things that we know very little about, yeah. but we assume a lot. Yeah. Uh, and that goes also, I just uh, trying to understand what is going on at Samus. Mm. And then you think Samus is fairly small and I've been here a long time, but also if you're working with your first course, like you were doing, it's like, but it's still, there's so many different things happening, yeah. even at this very small scale. And preparing for this, I found this and this active student participation companion the book they wrote uh, at the end of that project and it has this Uppsala University in brief with numbers and everything and then yeah. you kind of get this like and this is a couple of this is five or over five years ago but it's like there's like six seven thousand people working at the university then as you said 50 60 thousand students yeah. the budget is around I think around four or five or or billion Swedish kronas. Not sure. And then you can kind of all the campus areas and all the square meters and total buildings and everything. And then you yeah. have the outside space that we talked about. So so it is kind of a society within a society. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so so this, yeah. And maybe that would also be an interesting way, both for you, but also Samus, to just look at 
what is being done out there and maybe catalog and, and try to highlight certain things as well. Maybe yeah. that's what the university should do that. Yeah, <laughs> so that's yeah. what we're actually doing right now. Mm -hmm. We've emailed all 49 institutions mm -hmm. at the university and asked um, about if they have a climate plan and what mm -hmm. it looks like. Because currently in the en environmental plan, not the climate plan, the university does not have a climate, just an environmental plan. Mm -hmm. um, currently, the, it says that the vice chancellor, chancellor is ultimately responsible, but the people who are actually responsible in practice is the head of departments. Mm -hmm. They're responsible for implementing everything. Um, and I want to say surprisingly, but not really surprisingly, a lot of the head of departments don't know that they're responsible for it. Mm -hmm. And that's so we're looking into what they're doing and we're trying to help them because that's what we're supposed to be, you know, a health function, but also putting pressure on the university. Um, to, to find out what, what they're doing. And some of them have been doing really well at lowering their emissions. Some haven't at all. Mm. So, um, yeah, we think that obviously the university should be doing this work and, and, and lowering these institutions because of, often the head of departments are only there for about three years, I think. And they don't always have leadership experience either, mm -hmm. um, which is crucial for this kind of work. Um, so yep. so yeah we're we're looking into to it now but it's a it's a messy mm -hmm. <laughs> path yeah 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 usually you're a great teacher and researcher or in some cases just a great researcher but you're yeah. a beginner at leadership so yeah. or just the practicalities of the whole thing yeah and it's like how is the you know head of department for like um scandinavian languages mm. supposed to have the knowledge to reduce their emissions mm. you know it's or like for for bioscience or, or whatever, like there's so many different departments and all head of departments don't have the capacity to learn. Mm. They don't have the time or they don't have the they don't have the previous experience either mm. of knowing what to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that there it, it could be a lot of cataloging and just showing examples of how to do things or, or like this department did this. Um, but I think also a challenge to departments, if we focus on that level, would be if they would be, if they didn't have any constraints around resources or finding teachers, what would be like one sustainability course that they would put together, a sustainability climate course they would put together that would be of use for the whole university. Yeah. And it could be student-led and it doesn't have to be student-led, yeah. but that would be an interesting way also. Like if you say it's 49 departments and if we would have 49 like cases or examples or suggested courses yeah. that would be very interesting to see how the departments would relate to that yeah i'm just i just want to say i'm not like pointing out specifically the department of scandinavian languages <laughs> we don't want to because i don't i like i don't uh know what their climate mm. or anything is at the moment mm. or the other department i just that was just the first thing that came to my mind yeah <laughs> we just take something that is far away. Yes, something far away. <laughs> from you and from us here. Yeah. yeah. No, I think everybody's struggling, even the yeah. ones that think they're not struggling. Yeah. <laughs> that might be a bigger issue yeah. if you, you have long experience and you already think everything is great. Uh, that yeah. might be a, yeah harder to get things done. Uh, but that's inter interesting that you're doing this cataloging and finding these contacts. Because I think in most cases, as I said, there's a lot of people that want to do more, but then... How do you do that and yep. where do you start basically?
Yeah. So, yeah. It's like, um, especially now, the climate students function completely now without financing. Mm. So it's basically just a bunch of really involved students who want the best for our university mm. and want the departments to like make it easier for us to adapt and, and also change for the future and alliance with Uppsala Council or Commune as well. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's just pure like we just run out of like pure engagement for mm. this issue. So I think the university by like if they for the next plan misses mm. the opportunity to engage with us, mm. I think that's a huge loss for them because we carry such a lot of knowledge. The the environmental office, they don't have this information about the different departments mm. at hand. We have a like an Excel with everything in what every department is doing. Yeah. Mm. That's great. Um, so finally here, we're going to wrap up in a couple of minutes uh, and uh, none of us, I'm guessing, are researchers or have that kind of practical work experience from research. Uh, but I think when we're talking about such a large university yeah. and with a lot of different topics and subjects, uh, I think there's a lot of resources to build on yeah. when it comes to research and researchers and research groups and themes um, and also um, not making sustainability climate about only the natural science technological issues uh, since Uppsala is so big. So I think that that is my only like half visionary thing of, of just finding and highlighting more researchers and research, but also beyond this kind of narrow framing. Um, of course, you can't forget about that, but yeah, I don't know if you have any other. And that's why we're in right now also focusing on plant-based foods. Mm. Um, the average meal in Sweden is eight point no one point eight kilograms of CO two equivalent, mm. and we need to be at zero point five mm. um, in order to stay below uh, one point five degrees. Mm. And we should like basically be doing that right now. Yeah. Um, and you can't get that through um, if if you want to meet like your caloric intake and your protein intake. Um, and stay below uh, 0.5. You can't do that while eating animal products mm. for every meal. Mm -hmm. It's it's basically impossible unless it's just a little little bit. Mm -hmm. But um, so that's where we're and the university for for the campuses they're responsible for catering and they also host restaurants. Mm. That might be one or two meals that they're uh, serving each day to or one or two meals out of their employees or mm. students. Um, and that's quite a lot of like their their carbon emissions from food intake. Yeah. So yeah, we that's what we need. Like climate change is multidimensional. It affects all factors of society, and we're although we're focusing on transport because it's huge and like mm. fossil fuels, we also need to focus on these things that also impact like um, like food systems and yeah. food. Yeah, and also connecting back to your study background in peace yeah. and conflict, we also have to build society in general, but yeah. also at the university as part of that, to be able to withstand whether it's food crisis, international crisis, war, climate disasters, uh, whatever it is. So so I think there's a great overlap with that. And also yeah. Sweden during the Cold War, maybe during the Second World War, also had that kind of mm. thinking and planning of how can we kind of survive the worst kind of crises. Um, but it was also like a joint societal project that made people also, I think, in many cases, come together yeah. around that issue. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's a perfect wrap. Um, <laughs> and great. Uh, Asriel, you're still with us in the car. We're going to switch over uh, to the final part of this and, and let you in as well. Uh, but thank you so much, thank Asta. You. 
uh, we're going to let you go. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, uh, we should stay in contact with yes. uh, some or maybe all of these ideas. Uh, and also very interesting to see what you find from, from this uh, survey and yeah, yeah, looking at what. And if you want to find us online, we're on Instagram and Facebook most of the time. Yep. So it's Klimatstudenterna Uppsala. Yeah. Um, and then if you're interested in more plant-based foods uh, and food systems, the the group that um, the climate students are working with that I'm also a coordinator of is called Plant-Based Universities. So if you're interested in that, look up Plant-Based Universities online yep. uh, to find out more. That's good. And you also meet every... We meet every... We meet here at um, at four. Yeah, at four every Wednesday. For everyone so in Seamus Library. At Seamus Library, yes. Yeah, and you made the video I haven't been able to make, make how to actually find Seamus Library. No, so, exactly. So that, so that is also on Instagram. I think I saw, find Seamus yeah, Library, go to our Instagram. There's an upspeeded <laughs> one-minute version of how to actually find yes. space from the earth science entrance. Yes. Yeah. Okay, you know. thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I'm going to let you in, uh, Azrael, into this. If you're still with us, yes, I can see there. Good. So, basically... Student Coren as a building houses Student Court, Student Board, international students, Elev Rodet. Uh, so it could be a place to gather. <clears throat> the doctoral students also have an association and they meet at Student Court regularly. So we have, like Semos is one place to meet, a little bit far away. <clears throat> Student Corn could be a logistic place to strategize what we do effectively with different levels. And this is student level. Now, that's one, one thought. The other one had to do more with intersecting uh, research courses, syllabus, um, in a multi-inter-transdisciplinary way, like SEMOS is an example. Um, and that could also bring other student associations which I separate, like the engineering students or the legal students or the medical students, they have their own. So, but we could, in a way, promote uh, even help to organize such a meeting, ad hoc meeting at, in student core to address these issues um, as a building momentum to, to synergize, to, to, to weave together separate efforts. I think, Asil, we're gonna uh, wrap it up there. Um, I have also, I wanted to show you this uh, and show everybody else, uh, which and showing things is really not a good format for podcasts and radio. Uh, but there is a video recording of all of this as well. Uh, and the uh, the video conferencing video thing we have is now split the screen in three with the TV and now it's back. So I'll see if this works. Uh, so this book arrived uh, last week. Um, by uh, Walter Kohan, who, who was a guest here, um, which seems really interesting on Paulo Freire, um, a philosophical biography. So for those of you close to CMS, um, you can also read it here in CMS Library. 
Um, then there was a couple of other books and we're not going to go through all of them, but I, I just compiled books that connected to this theme. Um, so that is also here. This is also, I should show the, the book, uh, about and on CMS, uh, transcending boundaries. We're going to do an update of this at some stage. Um, and this has also been shown before the book you edited as real. Uh, and this was one of the first books that, that, yeah, when I started working at CMS, I think it's from 2004 or something, uh, Planet U, um, Sustaining the World, Reinventing the University. So there's a lot of great resources and I think also international context that we can build on for all of this. Um, if you still can hear me, Asril, I have um, one final thing in all of this. Um, and I didn't uh, really uh, connect uh, with you on this before, um, but um, just wanted to mention that as part of this podcast and everything. <clears throat> um, and it's on a more uh, sadder note, uh, Asril, but your uh, dear friend and Freire colleague, Erik Lindult, uh, Lindult, passed away. Um, so, so we should note that in the podcast, but I don't know, Asriel, if you want to say something also about Eric. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Eric Lindholt has been, um, I'll say, an inspiration in the Swedish academic world. He participated in the book that we launched from Samos on transformative research and higher education. He was dealing with knowledge democracy, which in a way summarizes uh, his long uh, 30, 40 years contribution to collaborative research, uh, participatory action research, making a bridge between research and teaching and knowledge for the common good uh, collaborative research. He passed away last Thursday. He tried to be with us in the meeting in Vienna, which is the second podcast, uh, but he didn't succeed. Uh, so it's uh, he leaves a whole uh, where we intend to honor his contributions by organizing a meeting and having uh, Zeitgrift, uh, an anthology next year where I hope Samos can be part of. I'm glad that you met Daniel with Eric uh, not so far ago. Thank you. Uh, one thing about the book, on the 15th of March, they will print the paperback of the book. So it was an, an initiative that Samos supported very uh, dearly. Um, so it was a very lively dialogue between you and this uh, student activist as a bridge between uh, university and climate activism at the local level. I think we should proceed, continue that line of weaving uh, in, in, the, in the future. And yeah, I think it was a rich, lively, uh, productive, what can we do from the university constructively to, to transform the climate situation at the, at the humble 
local level where the university is located. And I think it's a responsibility to engage the university in this kind of climate, environmental, and, and everything related to it, including peace conflict and health sciences and natural sciences and agricultural sciences. And in a way, that is what SEMOS is about, isn't it? But I, I think those could be my summary words. Thank you, Asril. Uh, and uh, we have uh, one question here from Ines. Okay, I'd just like to say, I mean, to thank you for the initiative and actually uh, to Renato Pontis, who who forwarded your invitation. I think it was Azra's invitation or uh, the Seema's invitation, I'm not sure. So just because we are here from Brazil, representing Puki Rio, which is the Catholic University of Rio de Janeiro, where I'm sure lots of things are being done uh, in terms of climate and the Amazon and so on. Um, but the three of us who are here, myself, uh, Maria Isabel Cunha, with whom I work, and our mentor, Dico Wright, from, from the UK, who is very much involved with climate change specifically. But we represent uh, a set of ideas and practices that we have called over the years exploratory practice. And um, we've been trying to integrate precisely research, teaching, uh, the classroom, the university classroom, the school classroom, and uh, Bebel was reminding me we got today a few a few pictures from uh, something a, a, a current PhD student of mine is doing with her students in the periphery of Rio de Janeiro, in the outskirts of Rio de Janeiro. And it all started with them real. I will be brief. Don't worry. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Daniel. Um, <clears throat> they realized by studying in a, in a geography class that their region was simply not on the map. And they were shocked to see that they were not on the map. And so they began to research this and to add themselves. They went out and took pictures and so on and so forth. And they just participated in our 24th annual event at the Catholic University of Rio. And they brought, they, they ran, a, ran a workshop on this, on this, you know, the fact that they're being ignored and they had created um, games and bingos and things and memory games uh, using the pictures that they had been taking of the region <clears throat> which is a highly polluted region now it's it's awful and so they're trying to to work on it and one of the students gave the idea oh why don't we take to the university uh, small pla plaques that my father his father is a is a woodworker and he sent, he made a whole lot of, of a set of, of these wood things. And the people at the workshop drew and painted, um, you know, uh, making claims for people to watch and to preserve the climate and so on. And she just, and yesterday they went out to this region and, and hung their, these, uh, these plates on the wood, on the, um, the trees and plants and so on. I could show the pictures in two minutes if you're interested, but it's just just a, one example of, of possible. I liked uh, what Azra said about weaving together separate efforts. I think I think we need to weave together whatever we can. And just to say that we are, we're trying. Renato Ponches, who some of you may know here, we do, and he sent a special 
special message to Azrael. Uh, does a lot of human rights and and all sorts of, of human. Uh, he runs courses. There are such courses at, at our university in the education department. And I was just checking that the engineering department has apparently a strong um, a strong path, research path on climate engineering or something like that. But I was highly interested in what the other student had to say about student activism. I'm not aware that regarding climate change, there is such activism in Rio, but I may be in Apuki, but I may be wrong. I don't know. Um, so uh, I think we can kind of leave it at that. Um, it's been great uh, having this interview. It's kind of interesting also if you refocus on the practical and visionary, your own kind of brain rewires. Um, that's at least my experience over this hour in uh, focusing on the the possible instead of the impossibilities in, in history or your personal history in a sense. And thanks everybody listening and thank you Asril for being patient and, and uh, uh, have also a safe journey to Sevilla, not Valencia, like I said. Uh, and uh, I'll I'll get to the editing and everything. So thanks everybody, uh, and uh, have a safe trip, Asriel. And I'll turn off the recording now. Thank you so much. <laughs>